A physician can more effectively care for patients when working as part of a physician PA team. The efficiency of this model has led to its utilization in all medical and surgical subspecialties, including nephrology. Slowing the progression of kidney disease and keeping patients off dialysis is the goal of the tireless, cohesive team of PA Lori Benton and Dr. Charles Folks. This team has been so successful that they were recently awarded the American Academy of Physician Assistants Paragon Award for Physician PA Team of the Year. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is the AAPA's 2009 Physician PA Team of the Year, Physician Assistant Lori Benton, and her supervising physician, Dr. Charles Folks. Hi, team. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi. How are you doing? Doing well. Well, first, let me congratulate you both on the Paragon Award. Thank you. Lori, what does this award mean to you? This actually is probably the most important award that a physician assistant can get. The physician assistant is a partner with their physician. It's a team concept that started back right after the Vietnam War, and it's been continued as a team effort working with your physician. To me, being able to succeed in this is probably the highest thing that I've been awarded. Dr. Folks, as a physician who loves to teach, what was your reaction when you and Lori received this award? Well, I was quite frankly, overwhelmed and and a little bit flabbergasted. I didn't really think that we had done anything special. I've worked with PAs starting with the Army back in the 70s my entire career. I have come to depend upon PAs as a vital part of my being able to extend my reach in my practice. I quite honestly can't think of practicing nephrology without a partner PA. And to me, to receive the award for what I felt was just the right way to do things It was rewarding, but it was also shocking. I just thought we were doing what everybody was supposed to do. Well, Lori, tell us how this amazing team began. Actually, this team was an accident. (laughs) I'm (laughs) working as a cardiothoracic surgeon, uh, physician assistant at the time, and I kind of consulted nephrology quite frequently because many of our patients were critically ill in the ICU, and when we got to a point where we weren't sure what to do with them, we called nephrology in. Well, working with Dr. Folks over the years of working in critical care, he finally convinced me to come over to nephrology to work with him and start a chronic kidney disease patient to help them keep patients off of dialysis. How did you become interested in chronic kidney disease? Well, when Dr. Folks started telling me about how many patients are ending up on dialysis and how many patients' chairs are available for patients to get dialysis, it was going to be uneven. So eventually it would end up where we'd have to choose which patients would be able to go on dialysis unless we found a way to prevent patients from losing their kidney function. So his goal was to design a program that can prevent the kidney loss or slow down the progression so we can get everybody treated and prevent um, people on dialysis. So let's talk about the disease. What are the primary causes of kidney disease? Well, the ones that we see today are, are really diabetes, high blood pressure, certain inherited kidney disorders such as polycystic kidney disease, severe reactions to drugs, vascular disease are really the main ones that we see. But quite frankly, if you look at high blood pressure and diabetes mellitus, you're covering about 80% of all patients who have chronic kidney disease in this country. And what are the stages of chronic kidney disease and what should practitioners be looking for when we're treating these patients? The National Kidney Foundation uh, with a group of experts has been dominant in putting forth a chronic kidney disease classification stage. Stage 1 is a person who has a glomerular filtration rate of greater than 90 milliliters a minute. 
and who just happens to have either some abnormality in the urinary sediment or the urinary chemistries or an abnormality in the blood chemistries. So it's one of these abnormalities plus normal kidney function. Stage 2 is a GFR between 60 milliliters a minute and 89. Stage 3 is 30 milliliters a minute to 59 milliliters a minute. Stage 4 is 15 to 29 milliliters a minute, and stage 5 is under 15. In general, at stage 5 is about where we start dialysis. To me, the beauty of the staging system is that it identifies, one, the patient who has some kidney impairment, and then by knowing what stage they're in, we can also tell what parts of the kidney function are going to give us trouble clinically. Well, by the time they get to you, most of them already have a diagnosis. In the primary care setting, when these patients come in, they come in just for their annual physical, and we see some mild changes in the GFR. What should we do next? Well, I think what you ought to do is if you have somebody with stage 3 chronic kidney disease, that is a GFR under 60 mils a minute, and it's confirmed, uh, you probably ought to have them see a nephrologist. You need to go ahead and take a look at a renal ultrasound to make sure, one, that there's two kidneys. Is the kidney size normal size or not? Uh, is there evidence of chronic disease there? Is there evidence of obstruction? You need to get a urinalysis to make sure that you're not looking at, you know, proteinuria with nephrotic syndrome or red blood cell cast or white blood cell, white blood cell cast for interstitial nephritis or infection. You need to look at their blood chemistries to make sure there's no potassium or acid-base disorder, their calcium and phosphorus, again, to look for disorders in the parathyroid hormone axis as well as the PTH, and also considering the epidemic of hypovitaminosis D that we're seeing in the American population. Right now, we suggest going ahead and getting a vitamin D level. You need to have a good chest film and an EKG just like you do for anybody who might have vascular disease. You've got to know if they're diabetic or not. If they've got diabetes or high blood pressure, you need to get it treated and and you need to normalize them. And it takes a lot of very vigorous treatment to do that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with the AAPA's 2009 Physician PA Team of the Year, Physician Assistant Lori Benton, and her Supervising Physician, Dr. Charles Folks. We're discussing the prevention and care of chronic kidney disease. So is the number of patients with chronic kidney disease rising? Yes, absolutely it is. Chronic kidney disease is more prevalent as you age. You know, the baby boomers, including myself, are aging and we're seeing more chronic kidney disease. Another reason we're seeing it is is that, you know, we're living longer. So the longer you live, the more chance we're going to have to pick up on chronic kidney disease. Our recognition of what represents chronic kidney disease is a lot better than it was 20 years ago. So, no, there's no doubt the number is rising. And something that Lori mentioned earlier, are there enough nephrologists and dialysis chairs for all these patients? Well, right now there's enough dialysis chairs. The problem is that there's the number of nephrologists is not increasing and the number of patients is continuing to increase by anywhere from 7 to 10% a year, depending on where you live. Well, you know, you keep increasing the population by 10% a year and you don't have more nephrologists, you end up with real trouble. You know, a good number of patients for a nephrologist to be able to manage and manage well is somewhere in 60 to 80, maybe up to 100 with a good PA. But we're seeing nephrologists now who are managing 125 patients, 150. We're potentially looking at nephrologists 10 years from now, you know, having to manage over 200 patients apiece. It's not going to work. There will not be enough nephrologists to take care of people. So we have to work on the disease. So 
Tell us about the Chronic Kidney Disease Program. Laurie and I spent a lot of time talking about this, and we're both very committed to prevention and, and preventive medicine. And as we looked at it, we said, you know, I, I really don't want to have to go make dialysis rounds after I'm dead and on the way to the morgue. I'm sure that somebody will want me to make rounds one last time. And I said, we really need to do something to stop this. So what can we do? And when you start looking at that, you're looking at a lot of management on a patient. And you can't just do that, you know, one solo doctor by himself or herself. It takes a team to do that. And, you know, Lori and I are very team-oriented individuals, and so we said what we need to do is have a chronic kidney disease clinic where we identify patients, we bring them in, and we work on all of these things. And we use the team to work on all of these things. We have the nurses there. We have the dietitian there. We have a social worker there. And we basically just get it all managed. And this isn't something that you can take care of in a 10-minute or a 15-minute office visit. You just can't do it. It takes time. So where did you get the guidelines that you built on for this program? We went to the literature. We took guidelines off the NIH site. We looked to the Cochrane Collaboration. Wherever we could find data, we used it. We turned to the work groups of the National Kidney Foundation. We used what guidelines that were based on good evidence. If we didn't have evidence, we then looked for guidelines based on expert opinion. And then where, you know, there was really no expert opinion, then Laurie and I kind of decided, well, our opinion is as good as anyone else's, so our opinion will do fine. And it worked for us. And if you look at our guidelines, some people might want to modify them, and that's perfectly fine. It'll represent the bias of your own training and experience. But also, you're going to treat a population in South Texas very differently than you're going to treat a population in Bangor, Maine. It's not the same disease. It's not the same group of people. So we use best evidence, expert opinion, and then lacking those two, it was our opinion. And what markers did you use to identify uh, chronic kidney patients early to save their kidney function? We used the EGFR from the Modification of Diet and Renal Disease Study, the MDRDGFR, and that was our sole marker. As you know, that's calculated off age, sex, race, and creatinine in the extended formula, adds in the uh, BUN and albumin. But you can go onto the net, type in MDRD, GFR, and your first five hits are going to be an MDRD calculator. And so what I would do is in the office, I'd pull it up on the screen, I'd punch in their numbers, push the button, and here's their GFR. And it was really good for the patients to see that and watch it happen. But our sole marker was an eGFR. And Lori, what was the outcome? Well, the outcome was we were able to keep a lot of patients off dialysis and a lot of patients that were in stage three, four, and five and progressing, we were able to stable out, decrease their rate of progression, and actually improve several of them. The guidelines were beneficial for the family practice docs. They were beneficial for the family practitioner, internal medicine, and PAs to refer us patients. And it eventually led to a lot of patients improving their regular health care from not only kidney function, but their diabetes and their weight management and stop smoking. So it actually was beneficial all the way around. So I know you guys have just recently put out a nephrology survival guide and the chronic kidney disease transplant and dialysis policy and procedure manual for medical professionals. And where can folks get that if they're interested in it? And are there other educational programs available for them? 
Well, at the moment, if they need it, they need to get in contact with us because we've not got it out to publishing yet, but that's coming reasonably soon. Hopefully, we'll have it out so that they can get to it via the Internet, and uh, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, you'll actually find it on Amazon.com. In terms of where else we can go, Lori, I think you have some comments for that. Yes, actually, if you're a physician or a physician assistant or nurse practitioner, we have a lot of information for chronic kidney disease on the NKF website, National Kidney Foundation, which is www.kidney.org. And there's a CAP Council. This is for advanced practitioners. And then there's also www.aakp.org, which has a lot of information for patients, but it's very good information also for the practitioner. There's also American Kidney Fund, which has kidneyfund.org as their website, and it has educational programs on CKD and dialysis and other kidney problems. Fantastic. And in closing, Lori, tell us what are the keys to your successful relationship with Dr. Folks? Communication. Um, we talk a lot. We laugh a lot. Um, we argue, but everybody has fun. We never have a bad day. We always make, no matter if it's a bad day, we make it into a good day. We can laugh about our patients. We can learn about our patients. We share information. And there's always support. If I have a problem, I know I can go to him, and he will always back me up or help me and get any problem that I have resolved. And it's just nice that I have that 100 to 200% support for, of my physician, which unfortunately a lot of people don't seem to have, but I've been lucky enough to have that. And Dr. Folks, what advice do you have for physicians to strengthen their relationships with their PA? And what would you say to a physician who is considering a relationship with a PA? What you really need to do is you need to sit down with them, you need to share the same values, and you need to be able to just sit and talk to each other. And you need to be able to say, look, I am going to extend my practice via my physician assistant. We're going to do this as a team. And as a team, you know, I depend on Lori to make sure I didn't miss things. And, you know, I do the same thing. I mean, there will be things that, you know, Laurie would not have seen that I saw. Between the two of us, we're an incredibly powerful team in being able to see what's going on with a particular patient. You just can't get a more powerful medical care team together than a good physician PA team. I'm I'm just totally committed to the concept. And, um, you know, the physicians is what I'd recommend you do it is that if you're not doing it now, you're probably crazy and you need to go ahead and start forming these teams because it's the only way we're going to survive in the future and be able to provide wonderful medical care to our patients because there are just too many patients coming and not enough doctors coming out. We cannot do it by ourselves. Thank you, PA Lori Benton and Dr. Charles Folks, for coming on the show. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Lisa. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening.